This is Ambushed. <laughs> uh, thank you for listening. This is the podcast where I, John Chafee, try to try to present a topic in a brand new way that has to do with the Christian faith and how wherever you are on the spectrum, from complete atheist to full-on believer to somebody that doesn't know if they are looking in or looking out, uh, it doesn't really matter. This one's all about trying to bring you a surprising and unexpected new angle, hence the title, Ambushed. So thank you. Cheers to you for listening in. Uh, I like to call the audience my beloved, uh, in part because I had a professor back in the day who called all of us his beloved, and it, it was such an endearing and amazing thing because we all looked up to him and it just made us feel great. So hopefully it's not awkward for you, but hopefully you actually take it as a term of endearment, my beloved. So thank you for listening. This one is episode 41. I have no idea what I will title it by the end of this, but it's going to be a good time because this one is all about perspectives of the Bible and what I think is probably the best way that I've come around to finally reading it for myself. And I say that as someone who works at a church but also has spent some time away from the church and have heard everyone else's perspectives of it. So let's see how this goes. I uh, am rather excited for 2018. There's, I have pages and pages of notes and things I want to try and do. But at the top of the list is I have a Twitter account for this. So you can check that out. And if you are able to reply to that, maybe give a suggestion of something that you would like to hear talked about, maybe somebody worthwhile interviewing, or just a question. Heck, anything. It doesn't really matter. Just be fun to try to interact with some of you. So three cheers for trying to do that a little bit more. And uh, let's have another three cheers for this topic. So without further ado, let's let's jump on in here. Let me take a, a moment. Hold on. So in the past week, maybe 10 days, I've had three different conversations over lunch with different people that were all asking the same thing. They were all asking, how should I read my Bible? Now, the amazing thing is some of them, <laughs> they were all in, on the different places on the spectrum. One was an atheist. One is a Christian who's got some questions, which is good. And then another guy who's just starting a really profound journey. And I think all three of those places are totally legit. They're totally fine. And the fact that people are just asking how to read it, uh, it, it says something about how people know that this collection of writings has really been inspiring and challenging in good ways for the near 2000 years that it's been around. So Kudos to those people and kudos to you for checking this out because apparently you've got some questions and you're looking for a different way of looking at it. So 
let's get it started. I uh, was really taken aback uh, at one of the lunches because this guy brought up some fantastic and wonderful critiques, I guess, saying, I, how do I read my Bible? I just, I can't necessarily dive into it because I know that it has caused so many wars. It has caused so many fights. People have lost friendships over this. Some people have been ostracized from their family because of how they read it. And there's even parts of the Bible that read just barbaric. There are parts of it that just read completely behind the times, which that's a completely legitimate uh, perspective, I think. And at least people who say that out loud, they're being honest because I get the sense that there's a lot of people that do read it, have those same types of thoughts, but are terrified or are intimidated or don't have the, the honesty to say it out loud for themselves that they also have a hard time reading parts of the Bible. Now, I'll even say for myself, uh, I'm sometimes embarrassed by how other people read it. I've had arguments with close friends about how to read particular parts of it. And sometimes those have been awkward conversations or, or made for an awkward couple of weeks following up after that until we were able to come to a common ground about some of it. And I've even come to find myself at odds because I don't necessarily fit a conservative uh, definition of somebody who reads it, but I also don't feel like I fit a liberal definition either. So hopefully, if I'm not conservative or liberal about how I read it, maybe, hopefully, I'm just reading it in the orthodox way, hopefully in a way that's really helpful. So what I would like to do is tell you a story, read three verses from the Gospel of John, and then give you some ideas. So, and hopefully one of those final ideas will, will really resonate with you and maybe hopefully bring you back to maybe wanting to read this collection of writings that has been passed down for thousands of years. So, let's get started with the story, and like I said, and then three verses, and then what people have said about the Bible. All right? <laughs> I was in Dunkin' Donuts. That's a good place to start, right? I was in Dunkin' Donuts on Sunday morning picking up some donuts. And because what else do you get at Dunkin' Donuts, right? Uh, I was there picking up three dozen donuts, and I was about to head out when I looked up, and they had a TV up in the corner for people as they're just waiting for their order to happen. And on the news was one of the most brilliant and incredible stories, and I watched it, and I had to chuckle to myself. And <laughs> as it was happening, as it was being recapped on the news... I could not help but think, there's a point to this. There's something that I can take from this. And uh, it's true. It's right here. On the news, there was a 
they were recapping a contestant who was on Jeopardy, who I think might have been in the lead. And when it came to be one of the statements, it's like, uh, this song was inspired by hard times in the urban city areas, and it became a big hit. And the contestant rung the bell and said, what is gangster's paradise? (laughs) And Alex Trebek had to shoot him down because the answer was not gangster's paradise. It was gangsta's paradise. Not gangster, but gangsta's paradise. And I thought that was one of the funniest things ever because instead of making that amount of money, he had that amount of money that that question was worth deducted from him. (laughs) So for the fact that he said gangster's paradise, he lost a couple thousand dollars. I'm like, oh, this guy. And you could see the pain on his face. It was just too funny. But what's the point of that? The point is this little insignificant uh, change had some big consequences, right? And you could kind of see it on Alex Trebek's face that, oh, I have to correct him because he was off by two letters. And uh, there's a passage I want to look at from John chapter 5 that I think it it's like they are so close and they miss the point. And because they miss the point, they miss the whole thing. And it's just one of my favorite passages. So in John chapter 5, there's a passage where the Pharisees and the religious leaders come up to Jesus and they try to catch him in his words. They try to make him say something that, that slips him up that they can then hold against him. And it came down to being an argument about who has authority. And by the end of it, it it's kind of... I'm not sure if you want to take it as funny or as an awkward moment or something else. But in verse 39, it says, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal or abundant life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Now, these are only two verses, and you could easily read right past them, just like gangster or gangsta. You'd say, well, what's the difference? Well, if you ever have a question about reading the Bible, has anyone ever brought up John 5, verses 39 and, 30, or 39 and 40 to you? Because these two single verses sandwiched in the midst of this whole discussion about who has authority. uh, I don't know if I've ever really heard them quoted in a discussion about how to read the Bible. But here is Jesus schooling the school teachers about how they are reading the Bible wrongly. Again, He says, you read the scriptures because you think in them you can find abundant life, but the abundant life is found in me. That's my paraphrase right now. So 
I don't know how some of you might be reading the Bible, if you even do it all. But the reality is, there are plenty of people that read it, and they read it so closely. But just like gangsta and gangster, they miss the point because they missed it by so close. And uh, here's Jesus saying, if you want to have the abundant good life, it's about me, not about what this book says. Now that's scandalous. So for Jesus to say that to the Pharisees, that's incredibly profound because the Jewish tradition was that after slavery in Egypt, they wandered in the desert before they came back around. And so for this whole time of wandering in the desert, and then also later on when they're in exile, all they had were words because they didn't have land. They were wandering. They were sojourners. They were people without a place. And so what they held on to were words. And so on some level, you can understand why the Pharisees would be so enwrapped in the words that they had because for them words were the identity words were who they were the words gave them a sense of purpose and calling and who they were in this world and then jesus comes along and says you read the words because you think in them you will find the abundant life but they actually point to me and you refuse to come to me to have the abundant life. So for Jesus to to kind of smack down the scriptures, it's it's shocking in one capacity. And it's fascinating to me that, like I said, these two verses are not often brought up because especially in church circles, people hold up the Bible so, so much, but sometimes they lift it up a little too high. And sometimes they read it a little too close that they forget that this Bible is trying to point towards something else. So if you've ever found yourself in a room where people feel like they're holding up the Bible a little too much, you can remember Jesus Jesus has already talked about this. Be careful of holding the Bible too high because the Bible is not an end unto itself. That's profound. So let's, let's take the final turn here. I want to share with you a few insights that other people have had about how to read these scriptures. Some people have had really profound and incredible insights, and then others, not so much. Here are the ones that I rely on. These are the ones that help me to keep it in proper light. Okay? So... When I was having lunch with these three people over the past like nine or ten days, um, I did say, I think it would be far better if we allowed the Bible as a collection of writings to be our main conversing partner. That we learn to have a dialogue with it. That in a very deep sense, for maybe it's just a part of human interaction, but we we tend to use the scriptures, we tend to read the Bible, we tend to read these ancient texts 
as conversation enders rather than conversation starters. It's almost like you have a conversation and somebody quotes a line and then, boom, conversation done because now it's time to turn your brain off. It's done. Conversation over. It's like, what? what hold, hold on. That was an abrupt, an abrupt stop. Like we need to – I have this, all this unresolved tension in me. I can't just shut this down. Whereas for me, I tend to have a more rabbinical view of it, which – the rabbis were the heirs of the Pharisees. They were the next evolution of the Pharisees. So in AD 70, when the temple was destroyed, the Pharisees were kind of out of a job. And so they slowly became rabbis. Now, the rabbis have a great view. They tend to also say the Bible is something you should have a conversation with. They should be things that start conversations, not be conversation enders. And in fact, in the rabbinic tradition, there's a certain kind of fidelity and honoring of the text when you argue with it. Let me say that again. There's a certain amount of respect that you give when you take the time to argue with someone else. So let's say you're having a hard conversation with a friend and you two both sit down and talk about it. It would actually be the breakdown of the friendship, of the relationship, if one of you just walked away. One of you gave a final word and walked away. Whereas there's actually a certain amount of honor and respect and maybe even reverence between two friends when they sit down and they say, we are committed to arguing this out. And I think that's a beautiful way. And sometimes the rabbis have these long, long discourses where they would just flat out say, I think the Bible's wrong here. And then they would go into why, and then it would spur on more conversation. And I think that's a good thing because I think God is in the tension. God is not in the single passages that we use to shut down conversation. God is in the tension between the times between the times of when it was written and the times now, and the tension between your interpretation and mine and that person over there. It's a beautiful thing to sit down and to actually allow the Bible to be a conversation starter between you and a friend or two other people or you and a whole congregation, you and a whole group of other people. But as long as we do that, I think it's also important to remember um, have some humility, recognize that we may be coming in with our own prejudices, and it would be really helpful for some of us to recognize that we can try as best as we can to study and try to learn the original context and culture that some of these ancient writings were written in, but we can't completely re recapture it. So that's the first one. The second comes from a rabbi, and I've mentioned his name before, and it's uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel is one of my favorite writers. And he says, the scriptures are really a legacy of awe. That these aren't supposed to be a science textbook. They're not even supposed to be things that we dwell on, like 
perseverating on every single word. In some sense, it's beautiful when it's allowed to be what it is, which is a record of people having experiences that sometimes they can't understand, that they can't quite explain, but they tried to put into words. Take for instance, take for instance the burning bush. The fact that that story has been passed down throughout the years is a statement about what that moment must have been like for Moses and how he must have been caught in a moment of awe that changed the course and direction of his life. It's okay to say that we can read some of these passages because we know how deeply they impacted the people to which they were happening. And so it's almost like vicariously By reading other people's experiences of God, it can help open up doors for us to experience things, which is just profound, you know? I think that's just incredible. The next one comes from John Caputo, who was originally going to become a priest and then change directions into becoming a philosopher. So he's very trained in Catholic views, but he decided to take the route of philosophy and since has been doing theology and talking about God from a philosophical side. Now he says that the Bible is a very unique genre, that the Bible is theopoetics, that in some sense, the Bible should be read like poetry. That if you aren't going to read it in such a way that you let it affect you, then you're reading it wrong. Again, it's not a science textbook. It's not even supposed to be history, like a history book. It's supposed to be poetry in that it's supposed to make you angry or sad. It's supposed to make you joyful. It's supposed to cause you to celebrate and if you aren't reading it in such a way that you let it affect you then you're coming at it the wrong way just like poetry if you don't know how to read poetry in a way that lets it affect you then just stop reading the poetry just stop just stop altogether but again this is a little different from poetry because this is theopoetics This is about stirring you in in the core of who you are about who God is, what God might be like, and what God might want us to do in the world. And that's a very different conversation than when people uh, read the Bible to shut down conversations, to try to prove their high ground, to hijack the Bible to justify their own ego or their own uh, condescension of other people. So Jack Caputo, who I met just a number of weeks ago, is a deeply kind man, and I was so impressed with him, and it was a privilege to sit down and have beers with him uh, one Friday night. It was just remarkable. Now, the last one is probably one of my favorite and it kind of brings us back to John 5. So a lot of my thinking and thought has been influenced by a pastor named Karl Barth who 
had some real problems in his own personal life, but some of his contributions and writings are really spot on and really quite profound. So Bart, at one comment and some of his major writings, he's, he sometimes talks about the Bible, and he did it in a really refreshing way during the turn between World War I and World War II. Writing from his Swiss... German background, Protestant background, he was always sitting at a desk and looking up at a painting that he had on the wall that really inspired a lot of his writings. And it's from a painting, uh, there, it was a painting from Matthias Grunewald called the Eisenheim Altarpiece. I'm going to put a picture of it up with this post as well. But the Eisenheim altarpiece is a giant magnificent piece with all these different panels but right in the center is a picture of the crucifixion and on the right side is john the baptist and he's pointing his finger up at this crucified man bart would often look up at this and he would use some of its illustrations in order to communicate some of his writings so in, in this instance, he says that the Bible is really the dirty hand of John the Baptist pointing at the crucified one. And so he kind of developed a whole framework that said it doesn't really matter how dirty John the Baptist's hand is. What matters is what he's pointing at because John the Baptist was always concerned with trying to point towards something greater than himself. And if we think that the Bible is often trying to point back at itself, if we think the Bible is always trying to point us towards reading it more and more and more and more and more, then we're kind of creating or recreating the same problem of the Pharisees in John 5. Don't, don't read the Bible just to read the Bible. In fact, when you do, remember that it's trying to point you to something greater than itself. And so he kind of makes, Bart makes some really interesting comments where he says, it doesn't matter how dirty the hand is. It doesn't matter how cracked or dried out the fingers are. It doesn't matter if there's warts on it. What matters is what it's pointing at, the crucified one. And that should be the inspiration for most Christians. I think most Christians want to take the Bible as their inspiration and its specific wording. But maybe Christians should have their real inspiration coming from gazing upon the crucified one who gave his life in love and sacrifice. And therefore, we ought to try to live in love and sacrifice rather than nitpicking little tiny words and missing the point. It's, um, the Bible is a very unique and dynamic text. And in some ways, because we're often taught that it is holy or it's God's word, we sometimes deny or repress that this is also God's word. I mean, human words. And so for that reason, it's, it doesn't necessarily bother me that it's precise wording about how events might be different from one book to another. So uh, between the Gospels, there's different accounts of Jesus feeding large groups of people. 
it's okay to me that they're not exactly worded the same. It's okay that different people uh, experience the resurrected Jesus in different ways. It's fine. Because to me, the Bible is always pointing, like I said, to something greater. The Bible is meant to be something that elicits, supposed to elicit anger or joy or frustration or sadness or celebration or wonder or let's bring in that other word, awe. It's supposed to be a legacy of awe. It's supposed to be a really dynamic collection of writings that is supposed to help kickstart a whole journey of reflection and thinking and conversation and self-examination about whether or not we are living lives of justice and goodness and love and sacrifice and helping one another and painting other people's homes, making somebody breakfast to deliver jackets to the homeless. Like, I think that's the telos and telos is is the greek word for the end goal that is the what we're shooting for <laughs> i'm not sure if i have anything else to say right there i just went through all my notes but this the bible is um it's a contentious book and sometimes it's contentious because we read it with our own agenda rather than the agenda that it itself has, which is to point towards something greater. And so let me close with a good old benediction, okay? My beloved, may you, the audience, my beloved, come to see the Bible as inspiration, as inspiration to kickstart a whole journey May it be a text to you that causes you frustration in the good way. And may you not give up on it, but instead learn to argue with it. And instead treat it as a legacy of awe. And may you allow yourself to be affected by it because of the fact that it is theopoetical. And may it inspire you with humility to try and live with more love and sacrifice than you did yesterday. Three cheers to you. Thank you for listening. This one was, let me see, that's capping off at 30 minutes. I hope you don't mind, but uh, it's always a good time <laughs> to do these things. So again, three cheers to you. Hit me up on Twitter. Let's start off a good new year together, all right? <laughs>